You'll be pleased to know after the start that we've just made that church is cancelled. After 2,000 years, we're finally throwing in the towel. We're going to try something new. That's what the world around us today would say. That the church is in decline. That it's an outdated idea. (laughs) He likes to keep you humble, doesn't he? Obviously, that's not true. Church is not cancelled. We will be back next week. But why isn't it true? I'm sure every one of us here could fill this time slot with something that we would enjoy doing. Whether that's keeping your head on the pillow, or going and doing a bike ride, or going out for brunch, or going. We could all fill this time slot. And yet, Week on week, it's a non-negotiable, isn't it? We, it's in the, oh, I can't do that, I'm at church. Why is that? Why is it a non-negotiable for so many? Well, we're going to be working our way through Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to start turning there. But one of the reasons is this, and this is a value that we hold as a church, is that we, are, we value family. We're building a culture of family where we enjoy a friendly and loving atmosphere, where everyone is welcome. We will laugh, cry, eat and journey together through life, supporting those in need and celebrating the diversity that is represented. It's a value that we hold as a church. If you've got your Bibles or you've got your phones, scroll to chapter 3 of Ephesians. I'll read from verse 1 to verse 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden in God for ages, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. I'm going to pray because based on how things have gone so far, I at least need it. Father, I thank you that you 
are about a work, that you had a plan, you've had a plan since the beginning of time, since before time began, and you're working that plan out. And I pray, speak to us, Holy Spirit, as you've already been doing, continue to speak this morning, continue to remind us of what you've called us to be as a church. We pray that you would be glorified this morning, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're just gonna we're gonna walk through this passage. Um, I think there's lots of things that I could say here, but I want to walk through the passage and then explain as we go along what Paul is saying and why he's saying it. So if you this is slightly unusual and we don't normally uh, do this, but if you've got your Bible, you can just read the verse and follow along, uh, and I will try and explain the verses as we go along because. There's lots of talk in this passage about mysteries and things being hidden and revelations and it can get a bit confusing. So I think it's worth taking the time to just walk through it. So Paul begins and uh, he's starting to pray. Um, do you ever get distracted when you're praying? Your sort of get down on your knees maybe or whatever your praying stance is. Perhaps it's one knee with a fist to their forehead. Um, and you're praying, you go, Lord, I just want to pray, to, I'm, I'm praying to you, I want to I bring this situation before you, and, and then suddenly your mind has gone to, oh, I need to put the bins out. It's bin collection night tonight, or tomorrow morning, the bins are going to be collected. Oh, no, Lord, I'm not praying about that, I'm praying about this other thing, and Lord, I hope that you would just break into that situation, because, oh, we've got so-and-so coming out for dinner in a couple of days, I'm going to need to go and get some extra food. Do you, do you ever experience that when you're praying? Your mind is dragged to different places. Well, I know I certainly do. Uh, and the good news is we're in good company. The Apostle Paul here is beginning a prayer. If you look down, which we'll look at next week, from v- verse 14, he restarts the prayer and actually finishes it. But he says this, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, that's the beginning of his prayer, and then... oh. Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God that was given to me. So he's starting this prayer and he interrupts himself in in order to reinforce what he's just been saying in the previous chapter. There's some important things to note. Paul calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus, not a prisoner of Nero of Rome. He's in a Roman prison, but he calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, You might think, oh, he's just being a bit glib or whatever. But the actual reality is is Paul views any circumstance he's in as part of God's plan because he's following God's will for his life. He's saying, God told me to go to this place and say this stuff. I went there and I said it, and now I'm in prison. So that must be his plan that I was in jail. He doesn't regard the, the secondary circumstance. He looks to what is God's sovereign plan. He has that bigger view. So perhaps you're in a difficult situation and actually it's not meant to harm you. It's meant to refine you and perfect you and bring you to a place of maturity. If you're following the will of God. If you're not following the will of God, maybe you're just in a difficult situation of your own making. 
Paul is in jail on behalf of the Gentiles because it's the message that he's preaching that's got him in jail. He's going around saying, it's not just the Jewish Jews anymore. It's the Jews and the Gentiles. We're all one new man in Christ. And the temple authorities, the, the rulers of the Jews don't like this because obviously they're saying, you have free access to God. You don't need to go to the temple anymore. You don't need to go through these, these guys anymore. You don't need to pay your your pennies for your doves to sacrifice or your whatever to sacrifice. You don't need to do that. You have access freely to God and they don't like this. So you can read in uh, the book of Acts, uh, which we looked at, Acts 13, there's this, you see the, um, the Jewish rulers speak out against Paul and stir up trouble against him. They contradict everything he's saying. I'll just read a quick verse to you. Acts 13. At the end, it says this. Paul's spoken to the Jewish uh, synagogue. He's shared the gospel there. They've rejected him. And he says, okay, well, we're going to go to speak to the Gentiles then. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. So this happened everywhere Paul went. He would preach the gospel and the people who were in authority in the Jewish synagogues and stuff, unless they got saved and converted to being a Christian from Jew, they would stir up trouble for Paul and get him thrown in jail or get him kicked out of whichever town he was in. So he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I'm in jail, and it's on behalf of you Gentiles. Verse 2 and 3. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by the revelation as I have written briefly. What is a mystery? Is Paul saying it was like an episode of Scooby-Doo and I had Barnabas with me and we went and we pulled the mask off of this guy and we knew that it was old man Riker all along who'd kept this thing hidden? No, he's talking about a mystery. When the Bible says a mystery of the Christian faith, what it's talking about is something that was hidden and has now been revealed. John Stott says this, Christian mysteries are truths which, although beyond human discovery, have been revealed by God and so now openly belong to the whole church. They openly belong to the whole church. There's no secret knowledge in the church. If someone is preaching the gospel to you and they say, I've got the secret, I've got the secret knowledge that no one else can tell you, I wouldn't listen to what they're saying. There's no secret attaining of knowledge in the church. People have different levels of understanding based on academic ability and the gifting of God. That's obvious. That's natural. But there's no secret knowledge. There shouldn't be anyone who's hiding something from you. There's no set of teaching or doctrine that's revealed once you get to a certain level. It's not like once you become an elder, you get Revelation 2. You know, it's, it doesn't work like that. 
the, uh, the teaching that's being given to the elders of the churches of Newground is available on the Newground website. So uh, not this weekend, last weekend, Dan, Andy and I and Megan, Jane and Kat um, went to an elders and wives conference in Brussels, um, which was the Newground Elders and Wives. So we went there and we received teaching on the gospel. And if you want to, you can go and listen to the Elders and Wives teaching from 2013, 2014, 2015. It's available to everyone. It's not like this is the secret elders teaching and you can't access this. Because all that's being said is Christ is enough for you. He should be enough for you. Now, the application might be different. Your issue might not be, I know Christ is enough for me, but I'd really like a bigger church. That might not be your, your issue. But the root issue is, is Jesus enough for you? That's the same. Paul speaks of having a stewardship of God's grace. Was given to him for them. And that's how the mystery was revealed for him in order for him to make it known. The mystery was revealed to Paul so that he could make it known to everyone. That's how God works. He uses people. He talked about this mystery that was revealed in the previous chapter, which Dan spoke on last week, and I'll refer to this one new man in Christ. And he says in verse 4, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Verse 5, Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Paul is talking here about New Testament apostles and prophets. Now, that's just a little aside, but it's important to note that, that he's saying that it wasn't revealed in older generations, but it has now been revealed through apostles and prophets. So he's saying there's apostles and prophets now, of whom Paul is one, that the revelation of God is being revealed through. So he's not talking about Old Testament prophets. It's important to know that in a couple of weeks we'll look more at that as we look at Ephesians 4 and Christ's gifts to the church. He's talking about a fresh revelation for a generation that he was part of. If you turn to 1 Peter, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. It might come up on the screen as well if I've been as diligent as I think I've been. There you go. 1 Peter, verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 10 to 12, says this. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. So he's saying that the prophets of the Old Testament, they, as they were writing these prophecies, they would have been going, oh, when is this going to happen? And who is this Messiah going to be? And God revealed it to them. It's not for you. This is for people who are still to come. That's what the Bible says of itself. 
that as they were writing these prophecies, there were these amazing prophecies, and yet actually this revelation of who this will be and what this will be, what it will look like, is still yet to come. Back to Ephesians. Paul's saying, having read what I've written, verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. When you've read what I've written, you can get a bit of an understanding into what this revelation is. But I'm still going to lay it down one more time just to be clear. Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He's referring back to this previous chapter, this one new man in Christ. He's saying that the Gentiles are part of the same body as the Jewish, the Jews. It's not one new man of the Gentiles and one old man of the Jews. And it's not two new men, a new Jewish nation and a new Gentile group called the church. It's one new man in Christ, the church. There's no hierarchy here. It's Jew, Gentile, one new man, the church. Verse 7 says this. Of, the gospel, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul speaks about being given a message by God's grace through God's power and being able to dispense that message by God's power and grace. Again, that's something that we'll be looking at a few, in a few weeks' time. But Paul's message, well, he was given a message and he was given a mission. And he did it in the power of God's grace. We've all been given a message and we've all been given a mission. Jesus said, go and make disciples of every nation, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So you've got your message, you've got your message already. It's in the Word. Don't laugh, Zach. Ten minutes without doing something bad. We've got our message already. We've got our mission already. So if you're praying and you're thinking, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Well, I can point you to some verses. Go and tell the good news of Jesus Christ to people. Go and show it to people. He goes on to say in verse 9, the end of verse 8, his Grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Look up John Piper, unsearchable riches of Christ, and have a good afternoon. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. So that through the church, verse 10, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Paul's mission was to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone 
to lay it out plainly. What is this plan that has been hidden in God for ages? What is this plan? He was to draw that out so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. The amazing wisdom of God might be made known to the world and to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. In that passage in 1 Peter that we looked at, it's still up there, it says, uh, is that the wrong thing? It says this, it says that angels long to look into this salvation. Angels long to look into it. The manifold wisdom of God is made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Angels who were there when God created the universe... When they saw, oh, how did you make a star god? How did you make a human being? Oh, it's amazing. And yet, it's, this is saying it's more amazing when they look at the church. They look at the church. I just don't get it. This, there's Saul. Suddenly, Saul, he's, he's persecuting the church. He's breathing out threats. He's going from house to house, dragging people off, putting them in prison. Suddenly... He's an apostle. He's one of the leaders. He's teaching. But how does that work, God? How do, you, how do you change someone like that? It's through the church that God's manifold wisdom is shown. The word manifold there, I've possibly said this before, often refers, it can you be used to refer to multicolored or uh, when you weave different, strands into a tapestry and it looks amazing or when there's a field of flowers that it's just like how is this is just a a bunch of wild flowers and yet it looks amazing the colors there's so many colors and they all somehow seem to go my wife doesn't uh think that well i have a a, according to my school report uh, when i was a kid a bold use of color was what the uh the teacher put, which I think was a nice way of saying I didn't know what went with what. But <clears throat> a bold use of colour was what was uh, said. When we were picking our towels for our first home, you know, doing our gift list wedding thing, I wanted a colour, one of every colour. My theory is if nothing goes, everything goes. You know, it's sort of... <clears throat> but this is, this is God's display of wisdom. There's, there's a bold use of colour and everything goes. Terry Virgo describes it as though the wisdom of God is a beam of white light and as it hits the prism of the church, you get to see the full spectrum of colour. It's through the church, through this one new man that that God's manifold wisdom is made known. John Stott, in his commentary on Ephesians, says this, The church, as a multiracial, multicultural community, is like a beautiful tapestry. Its members come from a wide range of colourful backgrounds, and no other human community resembles it. Its diversity and harmony are unique. It is God's new society. That's a bold claim saying no other community resembles it. Lots of people would disagree with that. I think actually he's, he's dead right because of the uniqueness of the harmony and the diversity. We can have lots of community 
groups and situations where there's a lot of diversity, but actually to have all of those different cultures be brought into a perfect harmony, that only can happen in the church. That can only happen under the authority of Jesus Christ, under the grace of God. Only, only in a community centred around the self-sacrificing message of Jesus Christ. Verse 11 <clears throat> says this. This was, this wisdom being know, made known through the church, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Ephesians 1 says that before the foundation of the earth, we were chosen in Christ Jesus. Before, before the foundation of the earth, God's eternal purpose was being worked out. He had a plan. The church isn't plan B. It isn't like God said, I'm going to do this thing with this one nation and see how that goes. And then it didn't quite work out. So he said, oh man, I was really hoping that Israel would make it through and come good. But now that they haven't, maybe I'll, what can I do? Um, angels, any ideas? Jesus, you know, any, any thoughts? Anyone? Let's, you know, we'll do a bit of crowdsourcing for what we're going to do. What was that you said? The church? Oh, okay. Well, we'll give that a go. That wasn't how it worked. The church isn't plan B. The church is and always has been plan A. According to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's not making things up as he goes along. God isn't making things up. Paul says this plan has been hidden in God for ages and now it's been revealed. This plan of one new man. This plan of men and women adopted into the family of God as brothers and sisters. This plan of a living temple built and growing together. This plan of every tribe and tongue and nation united together as citizens of one new country. This plan of individuals being united together into one as the body of Christ. This plan has always been there waiting, hidden, being worked towards. And then suddenly Saul become Paul on the road to Damascus and within days he's commissioned to go and speak to the Gentiles to reveal this new plan to everyone. It's where we've always been headed. It's where history has always been headed. God's promise to Abraham in Genesis was that he would bless Abraham and that one of his descendants would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. Now, that wasn't that one of Abraham's descendants was going to invent, you know, free electricity for everyone. That's not what the, the blessing was. The blessing was salvation in Jesus Christ. God's plan has always been for a global people. So I want to ask you, does the church excite you? We'll come back to that. We'll just finish off the last two verses.
This was according to the eternal purpose that is realized in Christ Jesus, verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Through Jesus, we have access to the Father. We can seek and know his will for our lives. And therefore, we can trust, like Paul, that when we are following his will, any circumstances that we come up against or are in will be used by him for our good and his glory. We know that, don't we? Romans 8. The circumstances you're in that will be used by him for your good and for his glory. Let's go back to that question. Does the church excite you? Some cows were discussing a farmer's breakfast one day. And one asked, did you see what he had? And the other said, yeah, eggs and bacon. And the other guy, the other cow turns to him and says, wow, the chicken made really a, a good contribution there. And the other guy said, yeah, but the pig, he was fully committed. <laughs> it's an old story. We know, you know, that's an old joke. It's terrible. <clears throat> are you fully committed to the church? Are you a Christian chicken or are you a Christian pig? You might want to pick either of those. But the issue is, are you giving of your best? Does the church get your bacon or does it get your eggs? Does it get your, your leftovers? Or, and, or That's a decent contribution. Or does it get the, the best bit? What does the church get? What's your view of the church? We'll go back to that in a second. What's your view of the church? A bit boring? Something I have to do every week. It's my good deed for the week. I go to church and then I know I'm right with God and I can live my life and do whatever I like. Is it your weekly pickup? I know if I come to church, there'll be a, a bit of a motivating message somewhere and I can take it and, oh, yeah, I'm going to jump for God this week. Yeah, that's my weekly pickup. Fantastic testimony, by the way. Amazing. Is it a social club for you? Oh, I know, I've got my friends at church, we're organised to do something in midweek. I'm sorted then, I don't need to worry about socialising with people at work. And church people have to like me so I can be a bit snarky to them. <clears throat> I'm, of course, no one here is like that. Is your view of church that it's a bit naff? Oh, it'd be a bit better if we, you know, had two electric guitarists. I say, I'm sorry, Jer oh, Jerry's around. Sorry, Jerry. Salia was like the coolest bass player I've ever seen today. <laughs> I'm sorry to embarrass you, Salia, but I just, he was just in his jacket. He's just there. I was just, oh, man, he looks so cool. Um, but coming from me, that probably doesn't mean much. Uh, <clears throat> Is your view of church that it's a bit naff? Because I'll tell you, the view that you should have of the church is... However it is now, and all local churches have their faults, the, the global church has its faults. I mean, we're 500 years on from the Reformation. Look into that if you want to see what the fault, some of the faults of the global church were. Um, but it's not always going to be like that. The destiny of the church is to be a glorious bride for Jesus. 
It's to be spotless without blemish. What's your view of the church? Does it excite you? I'm going to read this quote by a guy called John Hosier. This is after 47 years of being an elder or a pastor in a church. This is what he said. He's uh, done a guest blog on the Think Theology blog, um, which you can go and look at. He's got 10 things that he's convinced of after 47 years in ministry. Uh, He says this. He's preached at our church, a guy called John Hosier. Uh, I'm convinced of this, convinced of this. The church is the hope of the world. Surely some object Jesus is the hope of the world. But it is the church that conveys the message of Jesus and establishes community that in some way should look like Jesus to the world as the body of Christ. I've suffered plenty of disappointments. People leave and that's painful. Leaders have fallen and that is agony. I've never belonged to a church that fulfilled all its hopes and desires, though that's probably helpful in keeping us stretched and reaching for more. I've not seen revival and I wish I had. I'm disappointed in myself for not being a better pastor, preacher and evangelist. But I can set all that aside and say there is no community like the church. She has the destiny of being the bride. She is what Jesus is building, using and coming back for. She is a community of love and care a place of refuge and safety with vision and purpose to advance God's kingdom and reach out to the ends of the earth. It's a scary world we live in today, but it's the church that is the hope for that world. What's your view of the church? Christ's view of the church was that he was willing to suffer and die and be publicly shamed and ridiculed spat upon he was willing to take on the burden of yours and my sin in order to win for himself the church what's your view of the church I think unless it's this unless it's that glorious bride unless this is what we're going for. If your view of the church is it's something I can critique without offering any solution, that needs to change. If your view of the church is it's something that I can do without, that needs to change. This church is not perfect. But we're aiming to be a glorious bride for Jesus. We're aiming to be, as Andy says, we're aiming to sew a few sequins onto the dress, onto the bridal gown. We want to have a little cluster of, you know, a little embroiderment. That was us. We did that. We, we did it for him. Not so that we can go, look how great we are, but so that the church is presented to Jesus as an amazing bride. What is the church? It's God's eternal purposes being worked out in everyday life. 